Hi, and welcome to the Unashamedly Human Podcast, a podcast created to help you get out of your head and into your life. That is, if you want to have more fun, freedom, happiness, peace of mind, and success whilst squeezing the juice out of every area of your life. Join Jackie Ford every Thursday and listen in to her warm Scottish tones, wise heart and wonderful sense of humour as she interviews guests and discusses what it means to be unashamedly human. Hi everyone and welcome to the Unashamedly Human podcast. My name is Jackie Ford and as you all know by now I am a coach, mentor and trainer teaching a, a lovely, beautiful understanding of how our minds work from the inside out. I live in Scotland, but I do work globally, although there's not so much traveling happening at the moment. Now, today I have a really special guest with me. This is a woman I met God knows how many years ago um, at a, a lovely small event that was being held by Paul McKenna and by Michael Neal. And her presence and her energy just really, really touched me. And it's rare in life when you actually meet someone that you know is a kindred soul. And that doesn't mean to say you're in each other's back pockets, but it means that you just know this other person, you know where they're coming from, you know where their soul is. And so there's no, there's no discord. There's no need for any discord. There's just this beautiful energy that flows. Now, Today I'm speaking with Fiona, Fiona Jacob, and many of you within the Principles community will know Fiona for her work, um, both as an individual, but also for her work with Michael Neal in the Supercoach Academy. Now, there are so many other um, aspects and areas that Fiona has worked in, and we're going to touch on them today. Fiona contacted me the other day there um, and said she would love to be a guest on the podcast because there was something that she felt was really important to talk about amidst this pandemic that's going on in the world. And as you all know by now, both Fiona and I were nurses. And I'm, I'm actually really delighted that Fiona contacted me because it seems that our care workers are doing so much for us. And it would be beautiful to be able to create something that would help them relax and get into a space of, of knowing that eventually everything will be okay. So Fiona, welcome to the Unashamedly Human podcast. Oh, it's such a joy to be here, Jackie. Thank you. Fiona, can you tell us a bit more about you and, and sort of why you contacted me to, to talk about this? Because I know there was a particular time in your life when you were involved in something quite similar. Beautiful question. So there are probably two or three really, I would call them good reasons, but, but let me start off with, first of all, I'm not uniquely qualified, but I'm probably qualified by default. Um, to speak to a pandemic epidemic or outbreak because I had to lead a team through it back in 2015 and I'd love to go a little more into that. The second thing is knowing doctors and nurses, one of the things that they might say is nobody understands what we're going through. Mm. And, and even though there's some truth to that, I also wanted to show them or share with them or help them to say that they're experiencing a human condition as much as they're experiencing a pandemic. 
Mm. Um, and I wanted to be able to allow that to unfold for people. And I wanted to share also what rising to the occasion looks like for people. Um, you know, we get in over our heads in all sorts of situations in life, not just healthcare workers, people in general. And I remember one of my nurses saying to me at the end of this, because I actually did a little bit of research at the end of the outbreak in Saudi Arabia. And she said to me, I've become a human cockroach. She said, you can throw a nuclear event at me and I'll probably survive now. <laughs> and it's just this gorgeous capacity for every human being to be more than, the, than they are physically, but to, to have this energy of life, to have this aliveness, to have inside wisdom and capacity to see something new, um, to fall back in love with life even in difficult circumstances, even in challenging circumstances, even where stakes are high or where we have to adjust our life and our living and, and our work. So yeah, they're kind of the three reasons that I really wanted to get into this conversation with you today. No, I, I love that, Fiona. And I, you know, in my experience, there's something really special about the way that doctors and nurses already have the capacity to have experiences that the general population have just not had in these life and death scenarios and to come through that it impacts them at the time but then they're able to move on and move through that and with that comes a wicked very dry ironic sense of humor black humor oh absolutely um Again, my experience, too, is that a lot of things, particularly around major disasters, you could say, mm -hmm. even though they have implications probably for days and weeks, something like this is continuous day in, day out grind, you could say. Yes. So this is a long term or medium term, at least, like showing up for work, um, showing up to life for some people being absolutely scared. Um, concerned about the fact that maybe there's not enough PPE. And of course, we're hearing a lot of stories in the news right now, aren't we? Mm -hmm. um, and I would just, again, love for people to be able to find the calm and peace of mind in themselves. To, to just know that they are okay and will be okay and that they can have this peace of mind and clarity of mind in any circumstance whatever is going on outside of them, whatever is showing up for them in their world, whatever or whoever is showing up in the ER or in the ICU, that they have this innate resilience and capacity to be responsive, to, to, to respond in such a way that they experience all of the feelings in life, but more than that, that they can fall back into that place of the default setting, you could say, that place of home, that space, that space rather of quiet, peace of mind, ease, love, um, absolute clarity, perspective. Mm. Um, and that is going to help them more in these moments than getting caught up in their thinking in the moment about what's happening. And even though that's okay, I guess what I would say is that making decisions out of fear and panic doesn't help anybody, including themselves. And I'm sure many doctors and nurses have felt that, Fiona. 
I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and me too. Yeah. I think especially do during your training or, you know, when you move to a different department or you've got a new case in front of you that, you know, for example, right now, how do you deal with this? How do you help someone who's on a ventilator, but there's no drugs that you can give them? Absolutely right. And I'd love to share some stories of hope as well. So maybe I could tell a little bit about the um, situation that I faced in 2015. Um, so I'll take you back to a night. <laughs> it was uh, July 2015. I was a director of nursing at that time. Now, I was responsible ultimately for about a thousand nurses, but at that time, I was responsible for the hospital. It was holiday time, so it would be a little bit like it would be between, let's say, Christmas and New Year, where everybody, CEO, COO, all head off on their little holidays. And uh, I got a call, as you do when you're on call like that, three o'clock in the morning, and it was somebody who was extremely panicked. And it was the cardiac surgical unit, and in the cardiac surgical unit, it normally ticks along quite well. So to get a phone call from them that time of the night was kind of pretty unusual. So the panicked voice at the other end of the phone said, Fiona, you gotta come in. I said, sure, what's going on? She said, we've just had three patients die here and they haven't died of their cardiac surgery. Mm. And I thought to myself, oh dear God. And living in Saudi as I was at this time, I had to call a driver. So <laughs> not even able to get into a car and hop in and go there directly I had to wait for somebody and everything went through my mind Jackie from mm. has somebody mixed up the drugs to what anesthetic did they give these folks to is somebody trying to deliberately murder these people I mean everything went through my mind and I remember walking into the unit to these 10 pairs of just panicked eyes they were they were tear-filled, they were exhausted, they were just emotionally spent nurses. And they'd only probably been half the shift at that point. And I think, you know, if I had said to them, you can go home now, cause you know, you can, <laughs> I think they would run right out that door because they were just in that space of caught upness. They were completely stuck. And I have to say to you, I'm going to be really honest here, I panicked. Mm. And I don't know whether it was a blink of an eye panic or whether it was a two minute panic. I can't remember because the time <laughs> just disappeared. But what was the most beautiful thing in the world for me, Jackie, was in the next moment, it was just really hearing this quiet voice inside of me saying, Panic and fear cannot make the decisions here, Fiona. That was the first thing. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that occurred to me was, what do I need to do in this moment to care for my nurses and care for these patients? And then a series of just really helpful, responsive thoughts came to mind, like who do I need to tell? Mm -hmm. What resources do I need to get? How do we care for the other patients in the unit right this moment? And, and literally at that time, there were another two patients. Who were, who were dying. And it came to my mind, well, this is not Ebola. <laughs> that also came to mind um, because we'd had some Ebola training probably two or three months before and it was going, okay, so we're not dealing with that. And it started to just come together what it was that we were in the face of. And before I knew it, I was really calm. 
No, I had done nothing to get there. I hadn't sat and meditated for 20 minutes. It was just, I don't know if it was a sense of, I don't know what's going on and I don't have the answers kind of and just giving up. Or was it that I knew where to look? I, I can't really tell you. <laughs> but all I know is that there was just this beautiful, quiet and responsive suggestions or nudges or helpful things to do. And I remember my nurses getting washed and changed, showering and changing and searching and scouring the hospital for PPE that we could put on and having a, a sit down meeting and just being vulnerable myself and, and sharing that I had panicked too, that, you know, that's okay. We, we get caught up in our feelings from time to time and we're thinking that coming from the circumstances and just sharing a little bit about this understanding of why it's not always a good idea to, to really listen to our, our thinking or our revved up thinking at least and sharing with them how we can keep ourselves safe is to look at trying to find that space where we can think more clearly, where even though we have a lot to deal with, that there is a space in us where we can rely and trust the clarity of mind rather than our revved up thinking in the moment, that there is a real-time responsiveness, there's a real-time intelligence within us. And I remember that meeting probably took 45 minutes in an hour. And as I looked around the room and I said to each of the nurses, each of them said, I'm okay. In turn. And, and they put their PPE on and they went back to work. Now I need to tell you a little bit about MERS because we were at the beginning of an outbreak that carried on for nine weeks. So not unlike the current situation. They're just clarify here as well um, for the listeners, Fiona, <clears throat> that MERS was also a coronavirus. Absolutely. So, so MERS is one of the family of seven or eight coronaviruses now. And also, I don't know if you want to call it first cousin or sister to SARS. So the, the three of those are in the same, mm. they're in the same family. Mm. So as the outbreak began to unfold and we found out what we were dealing with, MERS or Middle East Respiratory Syndrome had a death rate of 42% at that point in time. So that basically meant for every two people that got it, one person on average would die. Mm -hmm. Now, it's also very easy to think of when you think <clears> of <throat> a doctor is going in to face a patient that they're taking care of. That for many at the very beginning, when they were not experiencing clarity of mind, would go into a room with a patient and think, this patient could kill me. This patient has the potential to kill me. So to me, it was really vital that we were in conversation every day about clarity of mind, about how we do, we all do so well when we're not caught up in our thinking, how we, when we're caught up in our thinking, we either make silly mistakes um, that can harm ourselves, others, the patients, um, even our colleagues, so that whole piece was vital for me. Fiona, see within that piece as well, you mentioned earlier, and we've seen this, we've been involved in this, where maybe there's staff shortages, people are going off sick, so other people step up. So you're working longer hours, you're not getting as much rest. And within that, because of the lack of sleep, 
there can often be this this lowered state of awareness, this lowered state of consciousness, which can have an impact. And often what happens is in that lowered state of consciousness, we can make mistakes that we wouldn't normally make. Right. So I love what you're saying there about these daily reminders of where people's experience is coming from and that we all have this capacity for fresh thinking in the moment. Absolutely. There were a couple of probably other vital parts of this as well, which are just very practical. Um, one of them was a spotter system, and this was and has been used in Ebola outbreaks as well, where you have another human being watch a nurse or a physician who's going into a uh, patient who's, who has the infection, putting on their PPEs so that we know that they're covered. Mm-hmm. as best we can if they're undertaking a very high risk procedure which for some people would be coming on and off the ventilator doing physiotherapy or suctioning those types of things um, we would also make sure that they weren't splashed or sprayed in, in any way that they were contaminated and similarly when they're taking off their PPE when they're coming out of the room that they're taking it off in such a way that they keep both themselves the environment and others safe and, and I liken that to kind of taking off in an airplane and landing an airplane because they're the most important times in practical senses. Now, that doesn't probably seem to be very important, but the what we what we didn't foresee, you could say, is how when somebody knew that somebody else had their back, one hundred percent of the time, what we saw was people falling in love with each other in the sense of obviously platonic, but but being able to relax, being okay that they didn't have to have eyes in the back of their head, that there was somebody who had eyes for them, for their keeping them alive, keeping them safe. Um, And I would have to say that never have I seen such amazing professional teamwork. um, and, And again, as we said before, people just rising to the occasion, helping each other, pointing out to each other. And that was also... Um, when I was doing some of the research, that was one of the things that people so valued um, was having that because they could relax in that sense into just doing their job, being okay. The town halls that we had probably before every shift, after every shift, and sometimes just walkabouts during the shift, I went into ICU, spent a lot of time. um, We had probably more than 300 patients in the hospital at any one time with 50 of them in ICU. Um, was just being okay with where people were at. It was it was allowing people to feel what they felt, knowing that if just sometimes it was compassion, you could say it might be even be just the presence of another human being listening, um, that they were able to fall out of the, the craze draft up thinking and, and come back into that space we call home. Um, and of course there were times when you know, people were overwhelmed. There were times when I was frustrated. It, it's, it's not without its moments. It's, it's not a rosy picture. But it was filled with love, with hope, with miracles, with possibility, with calm, with heroism. Um, as just people showed up differently than I'd ever seen them before. Mm. There's a couple of things you said there that just were so, so beautiful. 
when you said that someone else had eyes for the other person to make sure that they had their protective gear on, I thought, how beautiful, because that takes you out of that space of, of stress and fight and flight. So you're calmer to be able to do your job. I, that's, that's beautiful. And I wonder if that's happening now <clears throat> that someone is, is, is making sure that the other person is okay. You also mentioned love. Yes. You know, and, and it's, <laughs> I mean, it just blows me away. The love and the trust that can happen in these instances you know when there's huge accidents or a team is pulling together in a medical ward or an ICU to help a patient stay alive but nobody ever mentions the word love there's just this feeling of togetherness and cohesiveness and kindness Oh, this love is palpable, Jackie. I I remember some of our nurses and doctors got sick and there was one particular nurse, I will never forget her. She would have been quite young. She was probably um, 29, 30. And she had been in one of the wards where there were four patient wards at, 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 in our hospital. And all four patients had MERS. So her viral load was significant because she'd been caring for those patients probably for two or three days before we'd actually detected they were positive. And she showed up one evening to ER and, and deteriorated really suddenly and we need to put her in the ICU. And we found out she was pregnant. Oh, bless. And she was probably very early pregnant, like 12 weeks, 13 weeks. And she would be the last patient I would... She'd be the first patient I've seen in the morning, the last patient I would see at night. And there were moments, there were nights when I would go home and my heart would be a little heavy because I thought, she's not going to make it tonight. You know, you'd look at the saturation of oxygen and it's kind of sitting in the 60s. and mm -hmm. It just seemed impossible. I don't know if it's lo love that allowed her to survive, but every single nurse that cared for that patient, not only washed or cleaned her or turned her, but they loved her. And I remember the first time we heard a heartbeat. And I remember one time that they weren't able to find a heartbeat. And there was pandemonium. We got the consultant down because we really wanted to make sure that this little life within her was surviving. And we heard the heartbeat. Beautiful. And she stayed in our ICU unconscious for three months. And she walked out of the ICU and she gave birth to a healthy baby. And as I said, I have no idea, Jackie, if that was love. If, of course it's modern medicine. Of course it was ventilator settings. And of course it was oxygen. But there was always hope and love. Oh, I feel that. Have you not seen my eyes? Oh, listen, I've got, yeah, never mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I've seen that time and time again myself. You know, Fiona, that, that <clears throat> impossible cases, people who you just think are not going to make it pull through. And somebody else 
in the same situation might not, but there's something holding that patient and that team together as that happens. And there's no words for it. There's just this, oh, there's a grace, isn't there? There's, there's. Yes. I love that word, Jackie. Thank you. Exactly. That's it. it, it, And in that particular unit, and they were dealing with the MERS all the time. As I said, there were about 50 in ICU at particular points in time during the outbreak. But this particular unit was a 10-bedded unit. There was not only grace, because that, that seemed to penetrate, that seemed to be present. But there was... I call it vigor, or I will call it growth, actually. Because mm-hmm. it seemed to me as if people weren't going through this outbreak, that people were growing through this outbreak. And that in its own way was a little extraordinary. Yeah. It, and, I, and I think it's, we've been able to join the dots in retrospect, you could say. Um, but that has become one of the, the most stellar units or ICUs in the organization because of the work it did, because of the presence of grace and hope. And yet, of course, there were bad days and of course there were casualties. We lost a lot of patients too. It wasn't without its tragedies. Mm-hmm. But they were dips rather than permanent mm, experiences if that makes sense mm-hmm. no it totally makes sense fiona you know and and what you're pointing to so beautifully is this is what's happening that is what happened <clears throat> and there is a a conscious or an unconscious choice here that you step up and step in or you rage against and when you rage against, you suffer. Everybody suffers. It's not a pleasant experience. But when you step up and step in, there's a surrendering to what is. And that's where teams come together. That's where flow happens. That's where intuitive decisions are made rather than forcing yourself to to think your way out of a situation or or to do something or find something and in that there's always growth I always remember when our kids were little and maybe they'd go through you know they'd have chicken pox or slap cheek or measles or something like that and they always came out of it a different person. It was like they'd had a growth uh-huh. mentally and physically after this had happened. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are frightened by what's happening. And I understand that. Absolutely. You know, and it always brings me back to this quote by Sid Banks. If the only thing person people learned was not to be afraid of their own experience, that alone would change the world. And what you're pointing to and I'm pointing to is, yeah, you can be scared and you can be frightened, but you can have a different experience of that. Absolutely. It's... um. 
It's really interesting for me that in that outbreak, that the, it's like a slideshow. They, you could say the different feelings that I had mm. as, you, as I went through the nine weeks. Mm. And so much of it was the capacity just to be calm and present. And then there were moments of frustration and anger and sad, deep sadness. Um, and I think what is beautiful is if people understand that that's, it's okay to be comfortably uncomfortable with your feelings or uncomfortably comfortable. I don't know what way you want to say that, but <laughs> comfortable with uncomfortable feelings might be a better way of saying that because it's, it's not telling us anything about ourselves or the world. And the difficulty for people is if, if they get stuck in this state of mind, this one state of mind, which might be fear or panic or anxiety, that there's not a lot of room for that slideshow of different feelings and experiences or perceptions to show up. And they just hold on to that and they, they suffer. In my world, they suffer. And we all have evidence of this. I mean, I had a, an interesting non-corona uh, situation occur yesterday as we were talking before we started to record, Jackie, I was mm -hmm. uh, sharing with you that 85% of our business just has diminished. Um, for the springtime. Myself and my husband own a couple of companies together. And he came to me yesterday morning. He said, can I have a hug? I don't feel good. And I said, absolutely, of course. So we had this beautiful hug. He goes off to work. Not in a great space, but in a little bit of a better space. Um, he comes back in the evening. We eat dinner. We go for a walk. And just in the walk, we just experience this connection, this grace, this hope, this, and, and we just burst out laughing. Uh, we got into that situation. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you can't stop laughing. Yes. Hysteria. In a way it wasn't. It was beautiful kind of teenage silly laughter mm -hmm. where we just were in this giggling state. I would say for five or 10 minutes. Now there were people passing us on the walk and they were probably thinking, these two people are absolutely crazy. We, you know, maybe we need to call for help. <laughs> but, but, but what I suppose I'm pointing to, Jackie, the circumstance and not change. We had still lost 85% of our business from yesterday morning to yesterday evening. Nothing mm -hmm. changed. We hadn't found, we hadn't won the lottery. We hadn't found, you know, a pot of gold hidden under the desk anywhere. And what was fabulous is we were able to, a, not take it seriously. We didn't get stuck in that state of mind. We didn't believe we needed to be serious just because it was a serious situation. And we laughed uncontrollably in that same circumstance. And, and that's just what's possible from that space of knowing we will experience different feelings. But the fact that we know it <laughs> means that we can fall back into that that which is clarity and resilience and peace of mind and resourcefulness and responsiveness in the moment. And that is just the cool thing about this understanding. And I don't know if you remember many times as well, Fiona, when you were nursing, <clears throat> where, you know, you'd come through something that was unpleasant and there was this dark humour underneath it and you would you would laugh and to the outside world that would look terrible but it was a way of kind of releasing pressure 
Oh yeah, and something comes to mind and it's terrible, so I'm not sure I can repeat it. <laughs> That's okay, I understand. I think we would probably then need to re-record this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's that whole thing about <clears throat> when you lose your sense of humour. Absolutely. You know, when you lose your sense of humour, you know that you're caught up. You yeah. know that you're caught up in your thinking. And to use that as a barometer of, of kind of where you are in the moment. Because some people can't feel the heaviness of their thinking, right. you know, but they know they've lost their sense of humour or there might be other cues or clues for them. And it's like, find out for yourself what that is. Then you'll know. I love that because mine is my sense of humour. If I notice that if A, it feels heavy and B, I haven't laughed all day, then I'm going, okay. I wake up to the fact that I'm making out something to be a lot more serious than just thinking in the moment. Yeah. It's, I think it's real or I think there's something true going on. Uh, so I, I love those cues, actually. I love waking up to the fact yeah. um, that those little nudges tell us when we're, we're just out of our right mind or out of our, out of our clarity. So what did you see, Fiona, then from the, the mayor's, you know, sort of um, situation? What growth did you see in yourself and what growth did you see in the people that you worked with? I think for me, and I've had many different experiences in my life, it was really, really... <laughs> Waking up to the fact that, first of all, we are always okay, mm. no matter what is going on in our situation or circumstance, that there is always this space inside of me, which has, has just got, for me, beauty and grace and hope and possibility and responsiveness and creativity and love i love the way you added that in at the end there oh yeah and love <laughs> <laughs> well i'm just a big loving teddy bear i think <laughs> i know you are uh, i think the second thing is really that the different states of mind are of no matter mm. the fact that we will go through different perceptions or our own perceptions of a situation and our own feelings in a situation and that we can be okay with uncomfortable feelings like there's no res resistance to it it's just being okay where we are and I think the third thing is the something we didn't really talk about but I noticed was just a like transformative presence like if I am if I'm in my clarity and presence, that other people seem to be able to join me in that space. Mm. It, it's almost like, I don't know, they, like they can sense the solid ground. They can sense that it's a trustworthy, loving space, I guess, that I care. Yeah. Um, that there is compassion for the human condition, let's say, that it's okay to be where you're at, who you are. 
I love that. And for others, I just saw really just pointing back to or circling back to how people, when they're not in their thinking, just do beautifully. <laughs> when they're not fearful, they know what to do. They know how to do it well. They know how to do it with grace. They know how to do it as a team. They know how to do it with love. And they have find within themselves an energy that's almost superhuman mm. to come back to it again and again and again. And, and to find ways to even be okay when they're not at work. So I remember one of my nurse managers said that her partner would just run a bath for her every evening. And, and she would just sit there with a cup of herbal tea and, 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 and she found ways to be okay with life as it was. And we didn't know when we were in this outbreak how long it was going to last for either a bit like how, how people are right this moment. So it, people found their own ways of being with themselves and being okay with what was going on. And that was, that was fabulous. And I just saw people who weren't leaders in, in the traditional sense of the words becoming leaders. So this, the stepping up as we talked about, the rising to the occasion, the the taking on the challenge with such beautiful wisdom and heart. It was just, this has been one of the most humbling events of my life. Um, and to have been a leader at that time, people showed me, I woke up to the, the gorgeousness of people even more. And, um, yeah, and kind of just trusting in the everybody is okay. The okayness of people. Yeah, I really saw that. It's beautiful, Fiona. <clears throat> I always say to everyone, people will reveal themselves. They'll reveal their state of mind. They'll reveal how they're thinking in the moment because we can't help it. Yeah. You know, even if we're not talking, you can still feel it from another soul. So when you mentioned <clears throat> people were attracted to how grounded you were, they could sense that, they could feel that safe space because that's what's needed in these times is knowing that you're okay and finding that either in yourself or in someone else to steady, to steady you whenever you feel that you're kind of rocking about a wee bit. Right. I thought what was lovely, and uh, well, there are two things I want to say about that. One, I, I'm a little bit aware that when we talk about it, that that would make it personal. And I would love to look at the impersonal nature of that. Um, because that is available to everybody. And the only difference for me, I guess, is that I knew where to look. Mm. Because I had this understanding, that is what held me in the solid ground. That is what allowed me to experience what was in front of us with grace and ease and peace of mind. So for people listening, Fiona, who don't understand what we're talking about, what was that? 
It was simply knowing where the experience of life was coming from, meaning that we're always feeling our thinking. We're not feeling, even though it looks like it, our circumstance or our situation or MERS or Corona or self-isolation, we're not experiencing that directly. We will have thinking or we have a perception of that experience. Mm. And in that we experience our feelings about the situation, but that is, and I usually do it like this, that uh, that's an inner world. It's, it's circumstances have and cannot make me perceive anything in any particular way. It's just not possible. It's not how the system works, so to speak. So when I take my feelings as meaning something about the world, then I have to fix the world. I have to fix MERS. I have to fix the outbreak. I have to make nurses or doctors do X or Y. It's, it looks like we have to control everything or change everything to suit so that my thinking can be better. (laughs) And that's just not true. I can have a different, state of mind in any circumstance, no matter how it looks. And we all know that to be true. And we all actually have evidence. Um, And if we point back to the conversation that we had about my husband yesterday and, and that day, it's the circumstance remained absolutely the same throughout the day and will probably continue for some time. And we had completely different thinking as we moved throughout the day. There was sadness and a little bit of, oh my God, there was a hug. There was going to the office and doing what needed to be done. There was a a long walk and then there was laughter and ease and just giggling like children in the same circumstance. And that's the possibility for every single human being on this planet is to wake up to the, that it's not really a good idea to listen to our feelings as if they're telling us something about our outside world or what's happening in the world. And when we see that, when we see that our feelings are not telling us about that, there is this possibility that we come back to, which is that's just that space, the, the who we are at core, you could say, the what we're at core is beyond our thinking or underneath our thinking. It's that place that in us, the truth of who we are, the essence of who we are, the energy of who we are, which is we are love, we are creativity, we are resilience. We are and have access to insight and wisdom in the moment. We are responsive. We have intelligence that shows up in the moment when we're present to that. We're resourceful, we're clear, we're love. And from that space, we come back into the world and that is when life shifts for us for any of us and everyone has felt that at some point in their life absolutely i had i haven't met a person yet i don't know if you have jackie that hasn't had that experience (laughs) i remember somebody said to me you know jackie can you tell me more about the feeling i don't know what this feeling is that you talk about and i just said Have you ever held a newborn baby in your arms? Mm. Have you ever hugged someone you love deeply? 
have you ever seen the sunrise and it blows your mind? Oh. And he just went really quiet. It's, we know. And there are no words, really. Fiona, do you have any little nuggets of wisdom that you want to share with people listening? Hmm. So, especially if people are working within, you know, the sort of the, the care setting. I don't know if they're nuggets, honestly, but no, we'll get through this. And no, you can grow through this. And it might be a different world, but then, you know, if we again join the dots backwards, we won't know that for some time. And the last bit is there is always hope and there are always miracles. Oh, and of course there's always love, Jackie. <laughs> Fiona, thank you so much for being a guest on Unashamedly Human podcast. Um, it's been a joy as always to speak with you. And um, we're both sending lots of love to everyone out there right now. And um, if you want to get in touch with Fiona or you want to get in touch with me, I'll put the details into the comments section. And um, take hey, You could be larger than life. Oh